You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Okay, before we jump in, today's episode is sponsored by the Nagaro Public Sector. Nagaro Public Sector excels at helping senior technology leaders in digital disruption from cloud to AI to big data and digital product engineering to system integration work across platforms. To learn more about Nagaro Public Sector, check out nagaro.com. Mike, first, thank you for your service, especially your service in Iraq. It's truly an honor when I get to talk to folks who have served. And then obviously you're continuing your service with the National Guard in Florida right now. Just really appreciate you and the work that that you've put in. Thank you. Thank you. It's been our event in for 15 years now. So going strong, I think. So. Yeah, and I actually, I was listening to, as I was prepping for this podcast, to the FSA, the Florida Sheriff's Association podcast that yeah. you were on, I think not too long ago. Yeah, it wasn't too, it wasn't too long ago, towards the end of session. Okay, and so I'm just going to like briefly summarize in two sentences. So you went to Iraq, you got back, you yeah. went to go work for Lockheed Martin as an independent contractor yeah. in the counterterrorism space. Then you had your firstborn, your son, and then he had a tough time getting medical insurance and coverage. And then you yeah. had reached out to a bunch of representatives on both sides of the aisle. You had said you just heard crickets, like no one was getting back to you. There was a phrase that you had said, it struck me in the interview. You said you made it your mission to get involved. And then I was actually curious around where does that internal motivation for taking action and making it your mission come from? So <clears throat> when I got back from my first from my tour in Iraq, had a break in service. I went, man, I struggled for a little while. So I had a break in service. I moved down to South Florida. Be back with my wife and I've been married for 14 years. And the first four years of our marriage, I was gone for like two and a half. And so I had a break in service. I came down to Florida for a little while. I lived with my wife. Couldn't I? So in the military, you're sheltered a little bit. So you don't know what's going on around you. So you're overseas or you're back in on base it's business as usual recession doesn't really you don't even think about it but the economy was tanked so i got out at the absolute wrong time i got out 2010 and had a, about a year break year and a half break and for the first eight months or so i really couldn't get any meaningful work i found a job i was making cardboard boxes in a factory for minimum wage and I did that for a while and I picked up an independent contracting job because I had a clearance and all that stuff. And then I ended up in DC and my wife and I, she was like, listen, we she is, my clock is ticking. We want to have a family. So we, uh, that's the motivation right there. That's it. That's, that's the motivation, motivation right there. And so we had, uh, so my son was born and because of the Obamacare, 
it stated a provision saying that you had to be on your parents' plan for a government program. I was in that area where I didn't, I couldn't get, I wasn't, I couldn't get on a government program. I was using VA benefits. My wife's a teacher. You add one person to her policy and I think jacks up to a thousand dollars a month and we couldn't afford that. So we were stuck in a spot where we couldn't get them insurance. We were in that middle area. And so when I reached out to folks, they're telling me, yep, you can't get your, was it, uh, you're in that area where, you know, you, and I was a pre-existing condition when we were having him. So if you're having a child, you're considered a pre-existing condition. So I couldn't get an insurance policy to get him on the insurance. So I ended up reaching out to a bunch of reps and a bunch of, on the federal side, didn't really get anything, didn't get anything back for auto responses. And so I was like, you know what? I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to move back down, going to make it my mission, going to figure it out. And I'm going to get involved. Never been involved in politics ever. And then I just started helping other folks out. I ended up working a job when I got back with a healthcare company and it was doing home healthcare. And I just never had any healthcare experience. And I just used my experience, like leading troops and stuff like that overseas and use a lot of that. And I ended up getting hired as like an executive, an account executive, which was extremely different, but I learned a ton about the the healthcare, home healthcare and insurance business, which kind of opened my eyes up to a lot of that. But I came down, made it my mission, worked on campaigns. I was on, I was in the Broward County area at the time. And then fast forward, I knew at the time it was our majority leader, Dane Eagle. And he was my representative in Cape Coral growing up there. And, and uh, so he said, him and I talked, and I said, I'd like to try to jump into this. And, and he kind of talked me through it, told me how it works and the back ends of it and coached me up a little bit. And uh, here I am today. Yeah. I really like that story. The cardboard boxes. I'm with you. When I was younger, I had to, I worked this, I worked two jobs. I had to, I was working at a hotel from three to 11. And then I would go work at this place called World Market and I would unload this truck that would come. It was like 1130 to 7 a.m. It totally sucked. I made it my mission. I'm, not Yeah. I'm really good at opening boxes now. Opening boxes, putting them together and, and pretty fast. Yeah. There was a time where opening boxes, unloading the truck, getting the dollies. I was like, I cannot do this. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty young. I might have been like 20, 21, but... It was not a, it was not a fun time, but that was a great, I love that story. And I think you jump forward to where you're at today, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, but I thought yeah. that's just a really great story around finding, I guess, like the new mission. Cause I think a lot of veterans struggle to find that new mission and you were able to find it and, and Excel. So it's pretty great. I think that poses a big, a lot of veterans that get back when you're overseas, you're <clears throat> doing, you're in a oh, part of the world. Nobody normally gets to go in these things that most people don't, will never get to see in their lifetime. And you're doing things most people will never do in their lifetime. And then you come back, you're significant. You're part of a team. You have a mission. You come back and you don't have it. And it, that, that part's hard. So I did start to connect through with other military folks that were doing well, connect with them and pal around with them. And that's when I started my entrepreneurial timeline and, started working on building businesses and things like that. Yeah, I love that. It's actually a great transition. So Florida has what's called a citizen legislative or legislature. And so meaning folks like yourself have a day job. I actually like this. This is my own perspective that if you run for government, I love the fact that you should still have a day job. That way you can still relate to people in the day-to-day hustle. So I, I love that Florida does this. So yeah. you've got a company, Total Intelligence Group and Iris right. Tech Software Solution. <clears throat> yep. 
that yeah, you're so, helping to deploy. Tell us about that. Yeah, pivoting to the the nice thing about being a citizen legislature is that you get to you have to go up there during session, you pass laws, and you have to live underneath the laws you create. And whether it's your business or how it affects, sometimes you run bills or there's legislation that you vote for, and it's it absolutely goes, you know, it kind of hinders maybe your industry or that happens all the time. But you got to do the right thing. So <clears throat> that's uh, something that you look at and you see all these other members are you're having to. And they're voting against things that essentially voting against some policies that are the right thing, but maybe kind of put some guardrails around their industry. So I actually have a lot of respect for that. So I started my business total intelligence group and it was just with a couple other veterans. It's one of, the, it's one of those things where if you've been in the space or been in any like entrepreneurial space and you're trying to figure something, it's like you've thrown everything against the wall to see what sticks. And so that's what we did with that. We, <clears throat> we came on and... We uh, got a, a job doing work for USA Judo, which was really interesting. And it was just like just support, logistic support and all that. And that's where we started it off. We're not knowing where it was going to go and just, and we got that one job and we kept from there and didn't make a lot of money, probably spent more than we made trying to figure it out. And that was in 2013, 14, 14. And you just evolve after that. My background in the military, I worked a lot in the intelligence field and served with infantry units. And so you start to kind of take that experience that you had and essentially commercialize it and figure out what can you take from those things and bring it to the private sector to help become more efficient. So that's what we did. And that's what we did with Iris. We were working with a lot of law enforcement agencies and security organizations. And we found out that their communication was unsecure. It was not efficient and not, and they couldn't track anything. But that's what we did. We created a platform called the Iris and we, we designed it, developed it. We were the end users initially. So we knew exactly what we would, what we would want in a product. And we built that and now we're just, we're doing really well. Okay. I love that. Back up from the beginning, you had said you got to live underneath the laws that you create. I really like that a lot. As an entrepreneur running a business, especially I'm in California, I'm going through the process, got to pay taxes. It feels like every two and a half months, <clears throat> the state of California passes a new law for me to pay more taxes. <laughs> Actually, I got to pay taxes after this for my S-Corp. Just for having an S-Corp, they went and passed some other law. And, and so you start figuring all these little things out and you're like, does anyone own a business up there? <laughs> can I sit down and talk with somebody? Because I can show you the line item. So I I love that. Not a political take. I love California. I'm just saying when you live, when people pass laws and they don't live underneath them, sometimes the citizens themselves have questions around why you would pass such a thing for small business well, you, owners. Yeah, nobody wants to, I'm, I believe in limited government, right? I don't believe in mandates. I think when the term mandate is becoming used, and especially it's towards like private sector, I have a problem with that. And, it's, and you, and you got to be very careful with that with using any of those terms or, the, or using that. Nobody wants to pay taxes. So if we, and government's not there to make a profit. We're not there to be super profitable. Yes, we wanna have reserves because we wanna be able to support if there's an issue on a rainy day, but we're not there to make a, a, a ton of profit. It's an entity that you're supposed to provide safety, security, education to, to citizens in a community, ensuring everybody can play in the same space together. We're not there to go after businesses, to do anything. I just have a very, a little bit different view than some members. I think Florida as a whole, though, we, a lot of us have pretty much the same limited government. That's just something that I, I will always continue to fight for.
is limited government. Nobody wants the government in your back in, in your backyard. Yeah. So I'm with you on that one, 100%. And the mandate thing is interesting. I, uh, anyone who has kids, anytime you throw a mandate down on your kids, it just never works out. And it's like a great illustration. Anytime I try and get my 12 year old or three year old, anytime I have any type of like mandate, it just doesn't ever work. Like you have to work with them to get them to buy in. And then when they take ownership of it, then that's when they take off and do that. But yeah, it never works, especially with, you can try on your kids, but you can't, you well, won't be able and, to mandate anything. No. And there's a ton of unintended consequences when you do something. There's always like a cause and then effect. And, and then there's collateral damage, second and third order effects that you don't ever anticipate. And so when, when we're doing like a bill normally has to go through multiple committees, it gets vetted through, you have members, you have staff, you have everybody weighing on it, agencies, everybody weighs in on it and it gets through the process. You're, you should feel pretty confident that it's been vetted out for the most part to ensure that there's minimal amount of unintended quantity. But sometimes you just don't realize. And I think that's something that we have to be cautious of when we're creating laws. It's government, aside, I think aside from making rules on government, but making any rules that may impact private sector, we have to be very cautious. And again, I just think that like I ran a home-based business two years ago and it, so in many cities were actually charging home-based businesses up to $500 just to be a business out of your home. That's your private property. Like for you to be a lawyer, an accountant, or make candles out of your home. Nobody should ever be able to tell you. As long as you're not like spraying chemicals all over your neighborhood and doing things that you have cars parked throughout your driveway, you're running a small car dealership. I get those things that could, but it's your own private property. You should be able to run a business. And so some local governments just wouldn't let you. Um, and I presume you're running this out of, mostly out of your house, right? This is out of my house. <laughs> yeah, this is out of my house. So we preempted, so my bill preempted all local governments said that they cannot overregulate home-based businesses and they can't charge them for being a home-based business. They have to charge. It's just like any other business. But yeah, trying to get government out of the way. And sometimes it's making a bill to preempt, to get, to pull back some of the, the local governments, not all of them, but, but it was so. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. I can, I've got a lot of funny stories in California. Maybe that'll sure be do. for a beer or some different, <laughs> for a different yeah. time. But on the entrepreneurial front, I love this because you had said, throw everything and just see what sticks. And a lot of times I get the question, I got this yesterday from huge public sector media group. And they're like, so how did, how did you find the public sector? It's like super niche. And I'm joking. Cause I'm like, I started the podcast. I took a camera to an event two and a half years ago to this technology conference. I started recording and I didn't get into the public sector till like episode four. 35. And that was like the first one. And then as an entrepreneur, you're just like figuring out. And so for me, I was like, Oh, okay. So I started to figure out there's a community over here. And then now like I released episode 99 today. And like looking back, you can look at it. But when you're first starting out, it's you're just going you're like, oh, I'm interviewing this person and this person you just see hey, what sticks and then two years later, you meet Jamie Grant and a bunch of other people you would have never thought and somebody knows somebody and that's just how the journey works. It just grows and you see what's yeah, there. You have a plan, you have a mission, you have an end place you want to be, but you have no idea. You should always be flexible. You know what's funny is yeah. somebody, I had a report say to me, you guys never answer if whether you're going to run for another seat or what's going to do. You always say, oh, maybe we'll see. 
it's because you don't ever want to, you don't know what, what may open up or what may change. You don't ever want to put yourself in a position where I'm definitely doing this. And then something else, another opportunity that you feel you have a calling for opens up and you take that avenue. You just don't know, but, but yeah, no, it literally you, that's a lot of times. So I got out of the military and had no clue on how to start a business. I didn't really know any of that stuff. And the one I would say mistake that I made is I didn't try to find like a real mentor to help me through that or try to just do it on your own. And it works sometimes it can prolong or it can cause, I've actually gone and I bought a hot dog car trying to, I was actually starting and, and I was trying to find the most cost effective way to do it. And so I got, I bought this hot dog car. I fixed it up and everything. And I'm going to get the licensing Found out I have to have a commissary. I'm like, to boil water? All right, whatever. You got to find a commissary. If you go and try to rent a commissary, it's, it's a lot of money a month. It could be up to like $3,000 a month just to be able to dump potable water, get potable water. And I found a, an American Legion and they were like, yeah, we'll sponsor you. We'll let you use ours. You can use ours for, I was like, they said for nothing. You're a veteran. You're, I was like, awesome. So then I go to get the license in the state of Florida so nonprofits are licensed by, by the Department of Health and regular businesses are, uh, that need a commissary that serve food are D by DDPR. So the Department of Health doesn't recognize open serving areas. So I can't get a license under the Department of Health because they, it's not, because it's, don't have, they don't recognize open serving areas. So, so you're just, you gotta, it didn't work out, but I ended up selling the hot dog cart for more than I bought it for. So I guess I made a little bit of money there, but, but still it wasn't something that you just got to keep, you keep trying. Yeah. 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 So I love the perspective that you bring. I think I would, the stat I was reading, or maybe you had even shared it with me too, was I think 50% of the legislative body in Florida is their lawyers. And so I was curious, like, hey, how does your experience as an entrepreneur and, and successfully being in the state legislative body, like how does how do you help share that perspective across the entire government? So I don't know if 50% are lawyers. Okay. Do you have a lot of them though? Could be more. I don't know. But, but I think that, cause I know what it's to have to figure it out and start from nothing and, and make mistakes. Mistakes are, are going to happen. And <clears throat> if every time you make a mistake, the government comes and hammers down on you. I just don't think that, that doesn't create a good entrepreneurial environment. Yes. There are certain mistakes that have, big consequences and can cause a lot of damage. Those definitely you got to you know, but small mistakes that people are going to make and think that we have to recognize that's going to happen. And I, I think that if you want to, it takes a couple of things to make a successful business, talent and capital. If you can get talent and capital, you're going to have, you're going to, you, in, in a good direction, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be pretty successful. Can't guarantee it, but you're on a good path. And as a state, if we want to be successful and what is success, I think success is being able to be having jobs for people, creating that, creating an environment where people can work, live, be happy, have a family, live the, that American dream. I think we as the government, we have to figure out ways to ensure where we don't overregulate. We ensure that we keep an environment where we're building workforce. That's a huge piece to it, a talent component. And then we have to be inviting for capital. We have to know that we have to have a create an environment for people that want to invest, whether it's investing in our insurance or in, in our insurance policies, because we just 
at our homeowners insurance session, or if it's investing in new technology, all right, we have to create that environment and that ecosystem. And if we can create those two things, we can be pretty successful. And we can, we can, I saw that Greg Abbott just announced that he said they have now the most fortune 500 companies in the U S in Texas. And I think that they do a good job of creating an environment where those businesses can thrive and there's a lot of less red tape for them. I think Florida, we have, we have three major verticals. I think one of our vertical tourism, obviously agriculture. A lot of people don't realize that ag in the state of Florida is extremely important. And if, if for me, being a military guy and knowing a lot about national security, I think you look at being able to energy independence and so is food, right? Yeah, being independent on your own food, being able to grow. And that's extremely important to not just the state of Florida, but to the country. So ag is another vertical. And some may, some say that ag sometimes passes tourism in terms of economic impact. And then aerospace, defense, and aviation is another vertical that people often miss that is a huge impact to the state of Florida. I think for Florida, we can focus a little bit more, put a little bit more energy towards that technology, aviation, aerospace, that part to it, because that's a stabilizer. COVID, pandemic, doesn't matter what happens. There's always going to be that vertical that's always going to exist. And if we can foster a good environment for that, we will set up Florida to be successful for the next 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, I love that. Creating an environment. That's the thing about the entrepreneurial journey I think I love the most is when you have the when you create something so i love that creating something from nothing that's a ton of fun and then actually paying other people and then seeing that impact that they have on their families i i absolutely love that that's probably one of my favorite things and so obviously you want to create an environment where you can help support that ecosystem like you just said no absolutely absolutely one of the things when i was going through i think just part of your background and something you had said to me on the podcast or on our intro call was kind of technology flies underneath the radar uh in the state of florida a little bit maybe not so much in miami i'm always (laughs) in the wall street journal every other week for something they're doing but florida as a whole how are you helping to evangelize florida as a secure digital first state yeah, I think more so cybersecurity flies underneath the radar. And I think <clears throat> everybody thinks that just because you know how to use an app doesn't mean you're tech savvy. That makes sense. Just because you know how to go on Instagram and post something doesn't make you a tech savvy person. And I think for as far as for the state of Florida, we have taken big steps just in the last couple of years and I think a lot, we have a group of members that I think that are really recognizing it. We have on the House side, we obviously Speaker Sprouse, Jamie Grant have been a big on it. And then you have, I think that we also have Senator Albritton, who is a farmer by trade, but he has actually been very interested in trying to advance technology and cybersecurity in Florida. It's being recognized as something that is going to be extremely significant because People often forget about the digital space because we don't see it. We see roads, we see buildings, we see all that stuff. And we say that really impacts us. But, and then you walk into a server room that controls the entire state. You're like, you, you just can't grasp that. So you just, they just don't understand how that could be. Holy cow. Like this is the entire state infrastructure. Yeah. So all those buildings, all of that data, all the people that go in there, 
when they submit forms, this is where, these are the buildings it goes into. These are, this is the data center that it connects to. This is where all the data is housed and they just can't grasp that. I think with passing the first cyber bill, the cyber legislation, and actually starting with Jamie, Jamie created the bill that created the CIO's office for digital service and then put in requirement for interoperability and the request to share data and all of those things. I think we got to start breaking down silos and operating the state of Florida a little bit when it comes to the cyber side, a little bit more like a business, right? You never see a CIO underneath a department or another, another area, another division of a company, right? The CIO is usually right underneath the CEO or the CEO. It's a direct report. And I think that's where we're going to need to start to shift to. And then tying in that interoperability across the state. The hard part sometimes I think is trying to communicate the power of data. The state of Florida, we have all this data, we have all these things. If we tie our data together and commingle some of our data, we can, we can forecast what it's going to cost us for, for schools, for certain things that you may are always playing by the seat of your pants and just trying to figure out because knowing what can happen in the future, data can help through machine learning algorithms can help you get there. And we just, we're, we're not there yet. I think that we'll get there, but we're moving on that path and it's hard to get people to understand that. And even our uh, Lieutenant Governor Nunez, she knows, and she understands it. And that's why she's the, she heads up the cyber council because she is, she knows how important this stuff is. And so I think she's going to be a, a champion on uh, at it. So there's a handful of us within the state, between the legislature and the governor's office. And there are a handful of us that, that understand it and are trying to move that ball down the road. So Yeah, no, I love that. So Jamie, that's really funny. So Jamie created, that's right, I think I remember reading that Jamie created the Florida Digital Service Office when yeah. he was in the house. Like yeah. a true entrepreneur, he created his next job. That's that's really funny. I love that. That's, that's so man. funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I did not know the Lieutenant Governor sat on the Cyber Council. That is, that's she great is, to have she is, that. She is the chair and she helped put uh, some of the folks and help get some of the good, right minds behind it. We have retired Admiral McConnell that's in it. Um, right now he's heading up Cyber Florida. We have different folks that are in the tech space that are on it. She helped really put some of those people there and understanding where we needed to be. So she's amazing. So she's doing a great job. She's a great person to head that, head that group. And I'm there to help support them when it comes to any policy or if there's expertise that I can lend, I absolutely will. But I think we just got to technology moves so fast and government moves so slow. So we have to put some pieces in place and we have to, I think, so the military created Futures Command, they created AFWorks and SoftWorks and all these different things because they recognize that technology moves so fast and government moves so slow. The procurement process is, is days behind that they had to create these things in order for a new product to get to the battlefield. I think at the state level, we have to start looking at that and saying, how do we get not just things working for the state government, but how do we get, how do we make guidelines or how do we figure out the rules and to flying cars, to different things that were today. I just heard that they're in the process of permitting for Elon's space station. Like it, it's crazy to think he's got the most powerful rocket in the world. And to think happened so fast because 
private sector did it. And so I think we look at that and we have to adjust. We have to keep moving that thing down the road. So ask your, answer your question like a, in a long way. We have a lot of folks that are trying to build awareness to it. And there's a lot of people now in the space that are, we have the right people in the right space. And I think that's going to, that's going to help us tremendously. Yeah, that's huge. Could you maybe just talk about a house bill 7055 that requires the state agencies and local governments to report cybersecurity incidents and ransomware incidents and providing that cybersecurity, those training requirements across Florida. If you just want to touch upon that just for a sec. Yeah. So it's hard to really put legislation together when, when you know the problem exists, but you don't have the data to understand the problem. So that's why the require the reporting requirements were put into place. And those reporting requirements help us gain knowledge of how these breaches are happening. Are there, are they getting in from on-prem solutions? Are they getting in from lack of updates? Are they getting in from SaaS products? Is it human error every time, which most of the time it is. And that's coordinating with just not just local governments, but that's the insurance carriers that are, have cyber policies and all, all these different mechanisms. And then prohibiting the payment of ransomware by local government. Tax dollars should not be paying ransomware, period, directly or indirectly. So they're it, we should not be paying a policy that allows them for, and then we have to, and then we have to recognize that cyber and IT and techniques and tactics and all these things that we use in programs are ways that the adversaries get in. So we have to know that these, we have to keep those things behind closed doors. Not anybody should just be able to do a records request and say, Hey, I want this information. So we nixed that. And the reporting again was for us to get information on how these things happen and to ensure that we have the data to say, this is where we think we need to go. And that's why the council is so important because those people will sit down and say, you know, and get, get a high level view of some of these breaches that are happening to local governments and saying, this is how it's happening. We need to recommend, we need to do a recommendation to the legislature on this policy to address this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. All right. Let's wrap up with what I'm calling legislative agility. I asked you on intra call, like, how do you move as fast as possible? And you had said you go to the members, you talk their language, even sending lunch to the bill legislators, you know, yeah. working the process. I thought it was really great advice. Maybe you can just share a little bit more, maybe a few tips around how you're doing this in Florida right now. Cause I know in, a, a number of other states will end up listening to this podcast. I thought you had some really great tips there. So I think this is just, being a good, I don't know, just knowing your audience, knowing how to work things and, and being respectful. At the end of the day, nobody's going to tell you no in a bad way or put you to the back of the line if you're respectful to them. And so I think that part of that is Tallahassee. I know that there's people, there's staff that work their butts off. We tell them, we, we hand them a napkin and say, hey, we want to do a bill on this. And they have to take that information and create a real, create a legal document, a bill that we can now present and we put it on a napkin. So I think um, that it's important for us to recognize the hard work that they do. For me, we're able to, because we're government to government, I can buy them lunch. I'll send them some some Chick-fil-A or do those things. But we do that. I do that in my private business too. You yeah. just, you, within your legal limits, right? You, you make sure that people that are working for you, people that are doing what you, you, you reward them. You thank them. You give them something of appreciation. You know what we do in our my software company? We go to some of our clients and we tell them, and we don't, they're not really clients, they're really members. 
we tell them, we say, hey, listen, would you guys be willing if into would your company or organization allow you to work for us just part time? We'll pay you $25 an hour to test our new versions. So we pay our customers to test our product. The, they love it because they make a little extra money, especially the end users, the people that are really using the product. And so all those little things are valuable to, to you for you to grow, for you to be able to get through red tape, get through the a process that could be, you know, long. And I recommend that doing that in everything. But yeah, that's how we operate. That's how I roll. And it's so far it's served me well. So I love that. Be a good human. Take care of that's people. It. That's it. It's Take that care of people. That's it. It's really simple. Just be good, be nice, be courteous, be respectful, and take care of people when you can. And you just, and it works out for you. I love that. Mike, you will be shocked. So I've interviewed a number of people in Texas, and I've talked to some folks in the Texas legislative body, some state house reps. They've been really slow to hop on the podcast. You were the first one. I've not had a single elected official. You were the first one to hop on tech tables. How crazy okay. is that? Yeah, yeah, no, listen, I don't like to reinvent wheels and I don't ever pretend that I'm this. I never, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I am in the wrong room. So I'll actually, yeah. call, I'll actually call some of the Texas folks and ask them questions about some of the legislation that they've done. And I did that with North Carolina. And so next time I talk to them, I'll be like, hey, listen, you got to get on this thing. Oh, I love that. I am 100% with you. If I am definitely, if I am the smartest person in the room, we are in trouble right now. Even in my basically solo business, there's all these other people, like my wife, it, she's reviewing stuff all the time. And so people are like, oh, I don't really like this podcast question or this didn't turn out. Right. And it happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? That's me. Because everything that worked was my wife. She's running all that from behind the scenes. And yeah, I love that perspective and reaching out to different states and cities and seeing what different governments are doing to get the best product across. Yeah, give credit where credit's due. That. Where's your favorite spot? Where can people find you uh, online? Or I don't know if it's the the website. Where's the be- where's some of the best places to, to reach out to you if people want to get in touch? They go to my website and always send me, a, send me an email. That's the best way. Mike G from okay. Florida. Or you can shoot us an email with our, my business, Iris Intel Group. But yeah, shoot me an email. Or find Sweet. me on awesome. Not really on, a, on many of the other social media platforms that much. So not a big, just I, LinkedIn is mostly worse. Worse. Awesome. Sweet. We'll link to that in the show notes. Mike, thank you for coming on Tech Tables. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. Have a good one. You're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday. Thursday, along with weekly behind the mic newsletter and one of today's podcast sponsors is tech tables plus an engaging new community where you can have early access to never before released episodes early access to live event recordings early access to weekly three interesting learnings early access to live event ticket purchases no episode ads and more plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today bonus number one access to the ceo show Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.